Election night 2018 had some big wins and some big losses, some firsts, some undecided races, and many claims of victory and waves on both sides of the political aisle. The Democrats won control of the House of Representatives. It is absolutely overwhelming to see the faces of so many people who have worked so hard to get us to this moment. Together we can organize around the politics of hope and make sure that not only did we have the America we believed in, but the America we deserve. Thanks to you, tomorrow will be a new day in America. Remember this feeling, know the power to win. The Republicans gained several seats in the Senate, solidifying control in that chamber. I want to thank all Hoosiers for giving me a resounding victory, putting your faith in me, and I will not let you down. I promise that. Tonight, the good Lord and the people of Missouri have given us the victory. We've won. And I want to make this promise to all of you, whether you voted for me or you did not, as your senator, I will continue to be the most accessible member of the United States Congress through every means possible, because without you, I'm nothing, and with you, I'm everything. Thank you. God bless you. And Democrats made some big gains in governorships across the country. President Trump, at a press conference on Wednesday, reacted to the election results. It was a big day yesterday, an incredible day. And last night, the Republican Party defied history to expand our Senate majority while significantly beating expectations in the House for the midterm and midterm year. And a whole lot more happened. Our nation of voters made clear to elected leaders what matters at local and federal levels. And those voters' decisions tell a story of where this country stands and where it's headed. This is Can He Do That? A podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. In the months leading up to the 2018 midterm elections, the Washington Post sent politics reporter Dave Weigel on the road. Well, you know, I never got to Hawaii this year, so I think there's probably a good policy story reason for me to go there. Dave has covered politics for more than a decade, and he authors our newsletter, The Trailer, that covers key moments on the trail that Washington might not see coming. To keep up with Dave's takeaways from 2018 and the march towards 2020, subscribe to The Trailer. Okay, Dave, let's start with the biggest question. Overall, was last night a win for the Democrats or for the Republicans? Uh, it was a win for Democrats everywhere but the Senate, uh, which matters. I think if, if you gave a party, uh, you know, uh, door B or door C, I don't know why I skipped door A, but if you gave them <laughs> two doors to choose from and said you can hold the Senate or the House, they would prefer the Senate to cut to the chase. If someone else dies in the Supreme Court, Donald Trump gets to appoint whoever he wants. That's going to be terrifying them for, let me check my watch, the next two years. Uh, so there, that that is scary for them. That also points to long-term structural problems. Uh, for example, if you're a Democrat who wants Medicare for all, explain how you're going to get that without a Democratic Senate. Uh, you, you needed conservative Democrats, moderate Democrats to be able to win, and they didn't. Everything else, actually, they had a very good night. 
Um, they kind of rebuilt their bench in the states. They've, I, I'm sure I, there are a couple votes left to count. They look like they're going to end up a majority of, gov- of attorney generals, attorneys general rather in the states. Uh, they won a bunch of state legislatures. They they have six states flipped to trifectas where they're going to run every branch of government. So they had a very good night. Now, the thing that should terrify them was the Democratic theory going into this election was if people turn out, we win. Their people turned out in the numbers they thought would get them everything, and it didn't. You spent a lot of time on the trail during this election season. Yes. You followed many of these races very, very closely. Was there an outcome that surprised you based on the conversations you'd had with voters while you were there? Yeah, I'd go back to Ohio because you did see Democrats gaining back a lot of support they had lost in 2016. You saw I met voters who had sat it out or voted for Trump and were willing to take a chance on Cordray. Cordray one support in the state that was usually reserved for Republicans. I mean, they basically, that was a state where they won the argument with voters and then lost the election because they got overrun by turnout. That surprised me. Are you, is there a place you're most interested in returning to and kind of finding out the after game, what it looks like there? I think Florida is going to be a place worth returning to because the it, it's consolation prize is too small a word for it. Democrats uh, ended... A, a literal Jim Crow law that prevented you from voting if you had any kind of felony, unless you went through a complicated process signed off by the governor <laughs> in get, restoring your rights. They won that ballot measure. I think there's going to be a fascinating story over the next few years in Florida. Uh, Democrats will tell you uh, really bitterly, <laughs> like their hands shaking and their knuckles turning white. They will tell you, had that been in place for this election, they would have won the Senate and the governor's race in that in that state. Uh, that has implications for 2020 for decades with that law struck. And the only way to undo it is pass another constitutional amendment. So that was a giant triumph. And I want to see the organizing there. If you, Democrats were very smart in funding a lot of turnout operations, organizing operations, canvassing. It fell short in a couple of places, but they generally have uh, cured their problem of only funding some giant super PAC for a presidential year. I think there's going to be a lot of energy in Florida for registering hundreds of thousands of voters before 2020. Did we quite see the turnout from suburban white women voters that was forecasted? In general, yes. Uh, Abigail Spanberger would not be heading to Congress if not for that. Kendra Horn in Oklahoma would not be heading there. Kim Schreier looks like she's heading to Congress from Washington. Katie Hill in California. The story of excited suburban Democrats organizing in places they never had before, absolutely true. Um, and all of the profiles you wrote of these w- female candidates breaking barriers, most of them won, uh, with very few exceptions. Sharice Davids, uh, Deb, Deb Holland, more of these people who got attention, the Mikey Sherrills, uh, are going to be in the next Congress. And some of them in one so big with so much money this time, I think they're going to try to shore up their position pretty fast. Then, then what losses for Republicans sort of stung the most last night? Depends which Republican you're talking to. So if, you're the, if you are um, the national Republican uh, elite, let's say, you're not that sad that Chris Kobach won't be governor of, of Kansas. Uh, you are happy to have him off the stage. You're nervous that he might get a job from President Trump. Uh, Scott Walker losing the way he did. Um, now he his legacy in the state's going to be is hard for Democrats to do anything to. But Scott Walker losing and taking down the Attorney General in that state um, really put an end to an eight really the defining story of the Republican Party in the last eight years. You know Paul Ryan is leaving office with that whole project completely torn apart. I think that. That was a pretty bitter, bitter defeat for them. What about for Democrats? What were the, the worst losses for them? Oh, by far the loss in Florida. Uh, in Andrew Gillum, they saw somebody who 
for not his own potential was a possible presidential candidate for Florida's potential was going to be in charge appointing judges, you know, reshaping the state for the first time in decades. Democrats haven't controlled the state in a um, redistricting year since 1990. And that that by far hurt the most. Florida, for a number of reasons, was a bit fluky, but that really hurt them uh, in a way that I don't think not even the Ohio uh, defeated. But the Ohio one, too. There's two races there where just winning those governor's races was probably worth a decade of policymaking and six or seven House seats. And the narrative of an urban-rural divide in mm-hmm. America, did last night's results support that? Uh, they absolutely did. I kept looking at Oregon, for example. <laughs> so Oregon's a state where Republicans nominated a pro-choice candidate for, for governor, uh, was running very strong, had a lot of crossover support, a lot of money, did everything everything right. No mistakes in this campaign. Is not gonna, just going to lose, but is going to lose having watched Democrats win a supermajority in the legislature. Uh, the Seattle suburbs, Republicans were able to hold on for a while. They're completely wiped out now. Um, you have a very bisected country. And what Democrats really wanted to see last night was a victory for someone like Billy Sutton in South Dakota, a victory for Fred Hubble in Iowa. They wanted to basically get their version of the post-partisan Republican governors in, in, in Massachusetts and Maryland, and it didn't happen. There is a resilient conservative core that is extremely reluctant uh, to voting for any Democrat at any level strategically in a way that Democrats are not. Uh, so I think those things are deeply disappointing to them, have implications. And look for our long-term political future. If you're a Democrat, uh, you see this on the left right now, like um, Ian Milheiser, Think Progress, he's making this argument. Ezra Klein at Vox makes the argument. Uh, it, there's really no future for progressive governance if you can't win the Senate. And if the Senate is determined by Republican voters in rural states, uh, you you can't. You, you can't win it. If, it becomes, if you can never compete again in the Dakotas, uh, in Nebraska, in places where Demo- in the Deep South, in places where Democrats had had senators until 2014, you're just not going to be able to take the majority ever. Um, that has long-term implications for them. But Democrats winning some governorships might help, given that governors have veto power over right. redistricting, gerrymandering. Yeah, will that have long-term consequences? Oh, absolutely. Like like I was saying, winning those races, Democrats did in in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Illinois. Actually, in Maryland, uh, I, we're still shaking it out. Uh, it looks that Democrats might have a supermajority that can continue right, drawing the maps they want. That's probably the worst map in the country. <laughs> um, but in, in North, Dakota, uh, North Carolina, rather, uh, they appear to have won the state amendment battle that will, because they, the Republicans lost in court on their own map, that will lead to a new map being drawn for 2020. Um, you're going to see actually a lot of, I think, repeat candidates who lost this time and blame the maps running in either 20 or 22. Uh, and yes, I mean, an election where Democrats had not picked up Michigan or Wisconsin would have been would have been very different. They are in the driver's seat in a lot of uh, the key mapping battles in a way they have really not been since 1980. Let's pivot to the president. Was last night a referendum on Trump? Oh, yeah. I think it's hard to hard to deny that. Now, what the president will focus on is he campaigned for senators and beat beat them at a level. I, I'm sure his advisors keep rolling out the stats for him and saying, "Look at the uh, look how few incumbent senators of, of, of the other party have lost in a midterm. Uh, look how many you were able to beat." I mean, they were spinning that as soon as la- uh, last night. But he lost uh, a lot of the House seats for whom he. Yes, 
And that's that's the part to referendum. So uh, <laughs> I was struck. Paul Ryan put out a kind of, you know, uh, sad cartoon trombone statement last night. And, well, it was great, great pleasure, but um, good luck not, not having the majority. And it had this, you know, P.S. at the bottom about how, well, the average loss in a midterm is 35 seats, which is if you like math and we're journalists and so we don't, but if you understand math, you can do lots with averages. It, um, a, uh, that average includes lots of recession years where people got wiped out. It is unheard of for an economy with set 3.7% unemployment uh, to reject the party in power this at, at the level it did. So, But Trump himself has claimed success. Was yeah. it a success? It, yes, technically it was a success. His ability to convince voters who'd been voting for Democratic senators to reject them this time was something. Uh, now, what Republicans were saying about a year ago, which I think remains true, is that Claire McCaskill and Joe Donnelly by right should have lost 2012. They kind of got a six-year lease on life from bad candidates. With decent candidates, they went down. That That's fair. Um, the Rick Scott situation, he had a lot of, he, he, again, just endless money to bankroll campaigns. That race is still up in the air. Um, the Tennessee race, there, there are a bunch of these that you can explain with a number of dynamics. Uh, but no, the there are races that Obama's Democrats should have won in his midterms that they didn't. So I think it is hard to deny him the credit for that. Um, but he is whistling past the graveyard uh, in a lot of ways here. I can't emphasize enough. Having... Devin Nunes from uh, the House Intelligence Committee, having a supine House Oversight Committee, uh, having a committee that, frankly, was more interested in investigating whether the FBI was too nice to Hillary Clinton, who basically, like, beaten the 2016 election. That was very good for him. He has no idea how good he had it. What should the Democrats learn from this if they want to win the presidency or the Senate in 2020? It's a good question because all the takes are being hardened as we speak. Uh, they're all, all the hot takes are being... <laughs> are in the oven. So I saw this happening last night, right? Um, there are progressive groups who invested in a bunch of liberal candidates in hard districts or swing districts. They mostly lost. Not like a wipeout, but they, the high-profile ones lost, like Iron Stash lost, Carrie Eastman lost, um, Richard Ojeda lost. Better than people thought, but they lost. And they're already worried that people are going to come out of this and say, the, the lesson is the Democrats need a moderate to win the presidency again. They need a moderate. I think that's incorrect. Uh, I, I, I th if you look at how uh, Tim Walls won in Minnesota, if you look at how Tom Wolf won in Pennsylvania, if you look at how Jared Polis won in Colorado, there is an electoral majority for something about as liberal as Hillary Clinton ran on in 2016, probably a little bit more liberal, um, especially if framed against a, a unpopular president. Uh, and the threat of conservative judges. I think most of the country doesn't actually want them. It's just the Senate's constituted in a way that, that, that confirms them. But there will be that debate in the party. I, but look, a thing that surprised me in 2016 is that usually when Democrats lose an election, there are voices that say we need to move to the center. Didn't exist or didn't exist in a way that people gave that mattered in 2017. They uh, became the party of defending the Obama legacy and trying to advance it. And that's what they're going to continue to be. Can we expect more unity in Congress? I know that's sort of crazy at this moment when we're going to have a Republican Senate and mm -hmm. a Democratic House. But given the results of this election, can it be interpreted that no one party has a mandate and that perhaps Americans seek unity at this moment? Uh, well, I, I'm kind of weird because I've never really believed in the man in the mandate thing. I think you take power and you use it uh, if you get it with by 
it like Donald Trump did. If you get it with a minority of the popular vote, you and you utilize it anyway, as he as he proved. Uh, so, but Democrats, um, so they made this decision when they reelected Pelosi as leader, which was to not go into the midterms with a popular leader, um, not one who is particularly well loved by the by the base, although she's more popular than people give her credit for with, with um, liberal Democrats, not one who's that well liked with swing voters at all, very unpopular. And her immediate messaging was people have voted, for, we're not going to govern like the Republicans. We're going to bring back PAYGO, we're going to bring back regular order, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you're going to see resistance to that, I think, um, among the first Democrats. Uh, they're going to pass a few bills that have no chance of success. So you'll see a discussion of, over infrastructure funding. Uh, it is very easy for me to imagine that crashing on the rocks. And I think if you were Republican uh, thinking strategically about 2020, uh, what you probably want to do, and this is generally how Mitch McConnell's governed, he always looks at the next two elections, is prevent Democrats from achieving anything so that the new exciting suburban Democrats who won this time can't go to their voters in, in 2020 and say, look what we did. Uh, it'll be to make them look like they were reactionary resist resistance do nothing so i don't think there's um you don't imagine republicans will meet them in the middle uh not really um which is because just the way they won these senate races i mean uh i spent a lot of time in the midwest and in purple states even republicans ran on infrastructure bills in indiana missouri they did not they they ran on we need allies for the president to confirm his judges they do I think they can happily go along for six or the six-year terms without doing anything um, constructive with with Democrats. Now they want to cut taxes and they they, they have a, they have an agenda, but it does not comport with the Democrats' agenda. I don't I, I don't I don't know how when you have a president who governs by um, exciting the forty-four percent of people who like him and alienating everyone else. Um, you know that drives the tone. I mean, tr- Trump will mention unity sometimes. Um, but it's more been about humiliating his enemies, making liberals sad. Um, if that's your baseline, then you can keep your party very happy without achieving a whole lot. Uh, what was the big achievement of this Congress was the tax cut. People didn't like it. He didn't run on it. I think the the Democrats' boldness in taking on the way he governs is going to be very important. And again, I'm getting very far away from your what can they agree on question. I don't think they agree on a thing. Um, in principle, I, I, they're gonna. It might be like the DACA negotiation every week. In principle, they'll have a discussion. The president will agree to something. Steve Miller or Mike Mickelvaney tells him he can't do it, and he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. I think there's gonna be a lot of that. All right. Just last question for you: What results of any significance are we still waiting for at this point? At the moment, we. Uh, so California is going to take a couple weeks to count. Arizona is going to take a while to count. Uh, that matters for Arizona Senate race. It matters for a few House races in California. Uh, Montana is uh, probably going to finish counting this week. Democrats are very confident. Uh, just based, there's tens of thousands of votes out from the most liberal counties. They think John Tester is going to get reelected. Um, those are the big ones. Nothing that really. Now, there are a few that will have consequences in the t- states. We're waiting on who won a couple statewide offices in Nevada down the ballot, who won attorney general in Michigan. Um, Democrats want to, they have not locked those down, but think they have the advantage. So, uh, and frankly, Georgia is going to, 
go on for at least a little while, as will Florida. Uh, these are states where there were questions about uh, integrity of voting, and there were lots of provisional ballots cast by people who were kept off the rolls. So even though everyone's exhausted, I think there's going to be an effort over the next days and weeks for Democrats to go back and see if they have enough votes outstanding that will, in Georgia, force things to a runoff uh, in Florida, you know, go to a recount or flip flip uh, the Senate race. I think those are the next few things that will drag on for a while. All right. We'll look out for that. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. To hear more from Dave Weigel, subscribe to the Washington Post newsletter, The Trailer, at WashingtonPost.com. And to hear more from me, Allison Michaels, keep subscribing to Can He Do That? Share it with your friends and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon.